Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. You're listening to The Jewish Truth Bomb with Lenny Goldberg. Hello, everybody. This is Lenny Goldberg. Thanks a lot for joining me. You know, one thing about reading the news, you really get no perspective that if you just read the headlines every day and read the articles day by day, another day, another headline, you really get no historical perspective and you really don't know what's going on. Ben Hecht, the the Hollywood screenwriter who, who helped raise money for the Jewish underground, he said once that if you want to know what's going on in the world by reading the newspaper, well, that's like trying to tell what time it is by looking at the second hand of the clock. That is another newspaper, another headline, another day. You have no perspective. You have no context. Take, for example, Yair Stern, the head of the underground group called the Lechi, the Lochme Cherut Yisrael, the Freedom Fighters for Israel, the most extreme of the three undergrounds. Yair, he was hated by everybody. He was hated by the Jewish establishment, even by the Jews of Palestine then, who were brainwashed by the newspapers. He hardly had a place to hide before he was shot in the head and killed by the British. And if you would be reading the news back then, all the newspapers. He was a terrorist. He was considered scum. He had achieved the sinister reputation of a master criminal and a fifth columnist. That's what they said about him. The British, they saw him as a menace to society. The Jewish agency called him a dangerous beast. Any minute, he and his fighters, they expected bullets in the back. Not only were there wanted posters all over the place, but the police ran ads in all the newspapers and they placed on Yair's head a thousand pounds, which was a small fortune in those days. And when the British finally found him in a little apartment in Tel Aviv and they murdered him in cold blood, most of the Jews were happy about it. They were convinced that this Jewish terrorist, this troublemaker, was out of the way. That's what the headline said. But if you look at today, he's revered. Government officials every year go to his kever. They go to his gravesite on the 25th of Shvat, his yard site, his Memorial Day. They all gather around his grave and give him his accolades for being this great, great man. There's a museum in Tel Aviv called Beit Yair. That's the same apartment where the British shot him in the head. Today, everybody knows he was a hero. He was saying the truth about the British, that they have to be thrown out of Israel. But if you were around then during his time, reading the newspapers, the headlines, you would consider him beyond the pale, the biggest extremist ever. Ah, but if you look at the sweep of history, if you have some historical context, you see something entirely different. So I want to talk a little bit more about Yair Stern, because this past Thursday was the 25th of Shvat, his Yorzeit, his Memorial Day. Who was Avram Stern? Well, if you know a little pre-state history, during the pre-state days when the British were here, there were three Jewish undergrounds, the Haganah, the Etzel, and the Lechi. And Yair Stern, he's the one who established the Lechi, the Lochme Cherut Yisrael, the Freedom of Fighters for Israel. And he's a real Jewish revolutionary. You know, you see youth, even Jewish ones, wearing shirts with a picture of Che Guevara, you know, the Argentinian Marxist revolutionary. Like that's supposed to be cool. He's a martyred hero of the youth worldwide. <laughs> he's a rock hero revolutionary type. Well, it's, it's unfortunate that the Jews don't know anything about Yair Stern. Now that's a holy revolutionary. Yair was tall and thin and elegant, intellectual, very polite. He was definitely in his demeanor not what you would think is the typical revolutionary, a deep voice which has never raised an argument, not your typical rebel. And the only reason that he was ignored by Hollywood to make a movie about him is because there's no Hollywood actor that could do him justice. And I suggest to anybody out there who's interested in Jewish history, 
Learn about those undergrounds, the Etzel, the Lechi, Yayister, David Raziel. That's a fascinating period. The self-sacrifice of these young men, the very fact that these boys who were either Holocaust survivors or escaped the Holocaust from Europe, and they were able to blow the British out of the Holy Land, that's an incredible story. Anyway, getting back to some of this Jewish underground history, Avram Stern and David Raziel, they were very close friends, and they actually established the Irgun, the Etzel. Raziel was considered the military commander, and Yair, he was the spiritual commander. He was the ideologue, emphasizing the educational aspects of the revolutionary activity that they were doing. But eventually, Yair, he left the Etzel and established the Lechi, as we said. And I want to talk a little about why he did that, why he established the Lechi in the first place. And I want to talk about that split between the Lechi and the Etzel. It's very interesting. You see, when World War II broke out, the British were fighting the Nazis, and they were the only ones effectively fighting the Nazis. America didn't enter the war until much later. So there was a feeling that maybe we should leave the British alone a little bit because they're fighting the Nazis. That's what David Raziel thought. That's what Jabotinsky thought. But Yair's position was very much opposed to that. He said like this, the Germans, they're one type of enemy. The British are another enemy. As long as the British occupy our homeland, the British, you have to fight them regardless of the fact that they're fighting the Nazis. In any case, a Jewish state with open borders, that would offer a haven to the European Jews who are being persecuted. And the British set up a blockade which condemned these Jews to remain where they are in Europe because the British, of course, had issued the white paper and they were not letting Jews into Palestine. So this argument was never resolved. Raziel insisted on a ceasefire against the British because they're busy fighting the Nazis. And Raziel, in accordance with his ideology, he actually lost his life on a mission for the British against the German allied Iraqis. So Raziel lost his life helping the British fight the Germans while Yair split from the Etzel and he formed the Stern Group, known officially as Lochmei Cherut Yisrael, which in short is Lechi, the fight is for the freedom of Israel. But I'm trying to say it's a fascinating history. Every Jew should know it and they should learn about these amazing Jewish heroes like David Raziel and Yaya Stern. Anyway, when Yair split from the Etzel and found the Lechi, he was just loathed for continuing his fight against the British in Israel. I mean, the other undergrounds, the Haganah and the Etzel, they halted all resistance against the British. They said they would wait until the war was over, but Yair continued attacking the British installations, continued attacking British detectives, and that was considered insane. But just two weeks after Yair was murdered, an incident happened. And if it had happened a little bit earlier, maybe more Jews would have come around to Yair's point of view. What happened? The Struma, which is the name of a refugee ship fleeing Romania, it sunk at sea. And all Jewish refugees drowned, except for one man. There were about 780 Jews boarded on this Struma, which is an old cargo boat, which is really used to carry cattle. They had survived the anti-Semitic pogroms. They evaded transportation to the concentration camps. And they all perished in the Black Sea. And it was the British who turned that boat around. So that kind of proved what Yair Stern was saying all along. What's the difference between the British and the Germans at this point? The Germans are killing us in Europe. The British are blocking the way to the land of Israel. They're also the enemy. But the point is, when that Struma sunk, there started some murmurs of understanding of what Yair meant, that the British are just as bad as the Germans. Suddenly, Stern's name was mentioned with a measure of sympathy. 
for the first time. Suddenly, a lot of the things that Yair was saying, all of a sudden, it started to make some more sense. So we see that many times, the men with vision, they see what the others don't, and they're persecuted for that vision. And only later on, when the people start to realize the truth of their message, then they become appreciated, they become heroes. But that happens many years afterwards. But what these men of vision do is they plant the seeds so that when the truth is finally revealed by everybody else, well, they had planted the seeds to bring the nation closer to the acknowledgement of that truth. If they hadn't planted those seeds, the people wouldn't come around so fast. They sacrificed themselves and were ostracized for that truth. You see, when Yair was calling the British in Palestine conquerors and oppressors, well, that was a crazy thing to say back then. Because even when the British weren't fulfilling their promises, most of the Jews looked at Britain, they're like a nice uncle who's disappointing them. They're not like the Turks. Because remember, after centuries of being under Turkish rule, under those evil Muslims and their cruelty, well, when the British took over Palestine from the Turks after World War I, people are figuring, ah, oh, that's a nice change. We welcome the British. They're Anglo-Saxon. They have a nice accent. For sure, they'll be more humane than the Turks were. Not only that, but Britain gave all these promises. They seemed at a time, you know, kind of pro-Israel. You had the Balfour Declaration. There was Winston Churchill saying nice things. So the people expected from the British not only to be nicer than the Turks, but to eventually give us permission to establish our state. That's what the Jewish establishment, like Ben-Gurion and Weizmann, were counting on. That's why they didn't bomb the British like the Etzel and the Lehi did. They were figuring that the British would come through on their promises. And even when the British weren't coming through and they were making excuses, nobody ever really hated them or called them conquerors or considered them oppressors. Just like I said, they're a disappointment. Well, Yair, he was calling them conquerors and oppressors before anybody else. And that was a chidush. That was a novel thing to say. And people thought he was insane. But little by little, as the British exhibited great cruelty in the Holy Land, as they whipped and they hung Jews in Palestine, as they turned back boats of Jews trying to flee the Holocaust and blocked their way to Israel and sent them back to Auschwitz, well, little by little, people were starting to understand, you know? Yair Stern, he might have been right. And the fact is that eventually, all the undergrounds, the Lehi, the Etzel, Haganah, they all fought the British at the end. So Yair was proven right. But again, at the time he said it, he was considered a maniac. Now, besides being a militant, a Jewish terrorist, and that's what everybody called him, he was also a poet. In his own words, he was crazy for the kingdom. I want to quote him in some of his poems, a couple of lines here. He wrote, As my father carried a prayer shawl to Sabbath synagogue, I carry sacred pistols. Blessed be he who believes, and cursed he who denies the religion of redemption and the war of liberation. And in the words of his songs, you just knew he had like a death wish. And the songs he wrote and the poems he wrote, they were the spirit of the revolution. They gave ruach to it. It taught the Jews of Eretz Israel to fight, to endure prison and gallows, to think in regal terms. That's what his poems did. He sang of blood and he looked death straight in the eye. You could see it in the words of his songs. It's almost like he was daring to glorify his inevitable violent death. One of his most famous songs is Chayalim Almonim, which means anonymous soldiers. It goes like this. Chayalim Almonim, Hinenum Belimadim. We are anonymous soldiers without uniforms. Usvivenu emavet salmavet. And there's death all around us. Kulanu giyasnu l'chol 
we've been drafted in the army for life. And our discharge from the army will be with our death. Listen to this one now. This is the last stanza of the song I mentioned, Chayalim Almonim, Anonymous Soldiers. Through the tears of mothers who lost their sons, and through the blood of innocent babies, we'll take that blood and those tears and we'll mix it together and it will make mortar or cement and and we'll put them on those Jewish bodies, which will be like bricks. And with those bricks, we will build our homeland. So that's Yaya Stern, the poet. And like I said, it's really worthwhile to learn about this history. The story of men and women, often teenagers, they robbed banks, they blew up railways, they broke out of jail. They were local gangs that became armies and they chased 96,000 British soldiers out of their country. It's pretty amazing. Who knew nice Jewish boys could do such things? Okay, moving on to something else. This past Shabbat, we read Parshat Mishpatim, and it focuses strictly on Torah law, and it comes right after the Parsha of the giving of the Torah, because following the revelation at Sinai, God, he legislated a series of laws for the people of Israel, all kinds of laws that cover every aspect of one's life. They include the laws of indentured servants and the penalties for murder or kidnapping, the penalties for assault and theft. In Parshat Mishpatim are all the civil laws that pertain to damages, granting loans. I mean, everything a society needs to run properly. And I want to talk about it a lot today because raging in Israel is this entire debate about the judiciary. This whole concept of judiciary has been dominating the headlines for weeks now. And so in light of that, I want to talk a little about what is the importance of Jewish law, of litigating according to Torah law. And I want to bring the commentator Rashi on the very first verse. Now these are the ordinances which you shall set before them. So Rashi says, what do you mean before them? So Rashi says, and not before the other nations. That is, you got to go to Torah law. You can't go and do British law or any other kind of Gentile law. Only Torah law. And Rashi continues, and even if you know that regarding a particular law, that they would have decided the same thing as in a Jewish court. It would have ended up the same verdict. It doesn't matter. Don't bring it into their courts. Don't go into the Gentile courts. Why? Because he who does so, he who brings a lawsuit or litigates before the nations, who mechalelet Hashem, he profanes the name of God, and he honors the name of idols. That is, if he goes to another court other than a Torah court, it's like he's an idol worshiper. So why should there be such a harsh punishment for somebody who wants to go to a court that's not governed by Torah law, but by another code of legislation. Why is it considered a chilul Hashem, a desecration of God's name? So simple understanding is this. Look, Hashem gave us the Torah. The Torah is not a bunch of stories. It's a lot more than that. The Torah is hora'ah, from the word hora'ah. It's an instruction how to run your life. The Torah is a system of laws. From the written law, we have the oral law, which is the Talmud, 
which is the source of Jewish religious law. The Torah is basically a set of laws. So if you have some problem and you go to court, which isn't a Dean Torah, which isn't governed by Jewish law, what you're saying is, I'm not taking this Torah seriously. Yeah, I read it. It's got nice stories. I give Devar Torahs. But when it gets to the Tachlis, what you're saying is that if I've got some disagreement that's got to be discussed in a court of law, I want a legal decision made about something. I've got to go to court for something. I'm not going to use the Torah law. I'm going to use the law of the nations, British law, Turkish law. What you're saying is, yeah, the Torah is nice. It's got nice stories. I like to read it, but I don't take it seriously. That's an insult to Torah. The basis of Torah are the laws. So of course it's a chilul Hashem. Now you might think that, well, it's something technical. I got some kind of problem. I need a legal decision over some matter. And so I settle the problem by going to Torah law as if it's a technical thing so the society can run properly. But it's a lot more than that. When you apply the Torah law, when you apply the laws that are in this Torah, which is the covenant between the children of Israel and God, what you're doing is you're bringing heaven down to earth. Hashem in the heavens gave us this system of laws. And when we apply it, even on the most mundane matters, we're bringing heaven down to earth. We're making the Torah tachlis. We're bringing God down into our mundane, everyday affairs. That's what Judaism is all about. So it's not just a technical thing by applying God's laws, laws about slaves and damages and loans and lost property. Yeah, you need it for society to run properly. But when you go to a rabbinical court that's run by Torah law, that decides matters according to Torah law, you're bringing Hashem into the world, even on the most mundane matters. That's why Mishpat is so important in Judaism. And that's why every good king in the Bible is described as doing tzedakah u mishpat He did mishpat. He did justice for his people. He instituted Torah proceedings in the court system. That's how we describe King David. He applied Torah law to his people. Why is Solomon so famous? Mishpat Shlomo, the judgment of Solomon. That's what makes him famous. He did tzedakah u mishpat That's his trademark, his judgments. He sat on his throne, people came before him, and he gave the right verdict. That's what a good king of Israel does. And so what we see here is that the culture of a nation is defined through its court system. When you talk about authentic Jewish culture, means that you're applying Torah law in your everyday life. That's Jewish culture, Mishpat Yehudi. And the left knows that. They know that judiciary is key to the culture of Israel. And that's why they've taken it over. We have a judicial tyranny. They know that by ruling over the courts, they rule over Israel in a cultural sense. And that's why they don't want to give it up. Now, it's not that these judicial reforms that they're opposing so strongly is for Torah law. That's not what they're fighting about. But they know they have to keep their hold on the judiciary because they know that's the key to the culture. And if the Knesset can overrule the judiciary, then they know they're losing some of their power, some of their hold onto the nation. If the judicial reforms were to establish Din Torah, Jewish law, whoa, whoa, then you'd really have a civil war. <laughs> Imagine what they would do then. Because like we said, the Mishpatim, the laws of a country, the law of the land and how it's run and how the judiciary is run, that is the culture of the country. That's a lot more important than who the prime minister happens to be. Getting back to our Pasha, Pasha Mishpatim, while it's true that most of Parshat Mishpatim covers civil matters, but towards the end of the Parsha, we have national matters being covered. 
We have the mitzvah to drive out the inhabitants of the land. That's also in Parsha Mishpatim. And then we have a verse like this, And they shall not dwell in your land. They shall not dwell in your land. We're talking about non-Jews who don't fulfill the seven Noahside laws, who don't pay taxes in servitude, who are not loyal to you. They shall not dwell in your land. That's halacha too. Just like Shabbos, just like kosher food, we have laws concerning non-Jewish residents in the land of Israel. They can't live amongst us if they don't fulfill a particular criteria. So you see, it's not a political question when it comes to the Arabs. It's a Torah subject. Just like every other area of life is covered by Torah, so is this. Now, what's really important about this verse is that most of the time when we talk about settling the land of Israel, we always use these feel-good verses about the land is ours and we have songs about it. To your seed, I will give this land and the land of Israel is for the people of Israel. You got those nice warm and fuzzy verses about the land of Israel belonging to the people of Israel. But this verse is a little different. It takes the other side of the coin. They can't live in your land. It's more than that the land of Israel is for the Jewish people. This is the flip side of the mitzvah. They're not allowed to be in your land. And so even the right-wingers, the nationalists, they kind of neglect this verse. It's easier to say, Alino Arza, we're pioneers, we're settling the land. But to say that the other guy is not allowed to be here, oh, that's ethnic cleansing. That's racism. That's not politically correct. But that's what the Torah wants. This is in America where it's a melting pot of all peoples. This was set up as a Jewish state. It's for the Jewish people to build a Jewish homeland, living by Jewish law. That's what we're here for. You can't do that if we're a democracy in the Western sense. This is a Jewish state. It's for us. It's not for them. You want to live here? It's great. But there's certain conditions. Now, the Arabs obviously don't fulfill those conditions. And I want to tell you something. Because we ignore this, we ignore this part of the mitzvah about not allowing them to live in our land. That's the source of all our problems. Because they're here, we don't have the guts to say that they're not supposed to be here. Their, their numbers grow. And even by the rules of democracy, they're starting to overrun us. So if we don't take this verse seriously, we're going to lose the land. We're going to lose our country, either to Arab bombs or Arab babies. And I've been here in the Shamron in Kfar Tapuach since 1990. And boy, I can tell you the difference, what it's like. I mean, this is something you only get from somebody who's here on the ground. Nobody else will tell you this. But it used to be, when you go out on the roads, all the cars were Jewish cars. I mean, there were always a lot of Arabs around. We're in the Shomron. But they were in their villages. They weren't on the roads. And if an Arab car was driving by, it was an old jalopy with like seven Arabs squished in like sardines. Today, it's the other way around. You go out on the roads of Samaria, Tzomot Beitel, Tzomot Tapuach, Tzomot Shiloh, near Ariel, it's 10 to 1 Arab cars to Jewish cars. The Arabs and their white license plates, they outnumber the yellow Jewish license plates 10 to 1, maybe 20 to 1. Just stand out there and watch. Now, maybe for somebody new, it's not surprising, but I see the difference. I see how we're being overrun. And I'm not even mentioning how they drive like animals on the roads and cause deadly accidents where Jews are killed and maimed. I'm not talking about that even. The Torah never meant for us to set up a settlement on some hilltop amongst a mountain of Ishmaelites, amongst a mountain of Arabs, and somehow we're going to coexist. That's not what the Torah intended. In the book of Joshua, he goes into the land 
and he dispossesses the inhabitants of the land. He doesn't live amongst them. And so when we talk about our schut, our merit, our right to the land of Israel, you'll rarely see this verse used, lo they shall not dwell in the land. We prefer to take the nice verses. I give this land to you, the land of Israel for the people of Israel. That's nice, but what about the people who aren't Israel? What do you do with them? Well, the Torah has no qualms about it. Lo they're not allowed to dwell in your land. And when Rabbi Kahana tried to make us aware of this problem, he was a pariah out there. But just like Yair Stern, the men of truth and vision, courage to say the truth, they plant the seeds so their beloved nation will see it later on. May we cherish those great heroic Jews who had vision, like Jabotinsky, like Yair Stern, like Rabbi Kahana. And for their vision and their courage to express it, they took it on the chin. They were vilified, especially by the Jewish establishment, for their words of truth. May we merit courageous leaders like that to show us the way and not petty politicians who have been put in charge. That's it for me. If you want to learn Tanakh, the Jewish Bible, with Jewish commentary, authentic, clear, and to the point, you can listen to my Bible podcast. It's Lenny Goldberg's Bible Classes, a podcast on Spotify, on Anchor. Tune into that and learn your Bible. It's a pretty basic book. See you guys next week. If you love Israel News Talk Radio, then you'll love our Facebook page. We keep you up to date on what's happening in Israel, plus little surprise treasures that we don't share on the radio. Go now to follow us on Facebook. Just look for the Israel News Talk Radio Facebook page. And don't forget to subscribe and follow us by clicking on the like button. We post great stuff there that you'll want to share. Israel News Talk Radio on Facebook and Israel News Radio on Twitter. If you're hearing this message, everyone else can too. Advertise with Israel News Talk Radio and get your message out to people. We'll build a personalized package for you. Contact advertising at israelnewstalkradio.com. Straight talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Hey, this is Jake in Anchorage, Alaska, and I love listening to all the super interesting interviews and up-to-date information on what's happening in Israel. Hello, this is Anna King, originally from London, now living in Israel. And what can I say? Israel News Talk Radio is my cup of tea. My name is Bhaskar. I'm from India, and I love listening because you get to know the truth and wonderful voices from this lovely country. Mom! Okay, wait a minute. Hi, this is Chava Dax, and I'm calling for the rolling hills of Malaya Dumim, just north of Jerusalem. I always listen to Israel News Talk Radio to get all the latest news and commentary and to keep me up to date every day. This is Sarah Dax from Malaya Dumim, and I'm 12. I wish Israel News Talk Radio was boring so my mom wouldn't listen to it all the time. Mom! You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. News, opinion, and more. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio.